0: I would like to welcome Professor Mamans-Mamas from Kiel University, Director for the Centre for Prognosis Research. At this year's ESC Congress in Barcelona, you chaired a very interesting interactive session, getting to LDIC goals and staying there in the long term. Thank you for sharing your insights with us.
1: Uh, Thank you. It's a real pleasure to join you.
0: ADSC goals became more and more stringent over time, but uh, it's not reflected well in real life. According to current ESC guidelines, what are the ADSC levels actually that uh, should be achieved by therapy? And uh, what proportion of patients with atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease reach this recommended
1: goal? So I mean I mean it's a great question. Um, achieving optimal LDL levels is important. Why? Because we know that there's almost a linear relationship between LDLC and future cardiovascular risk, and so we really want to get them as low as possible. The latest guidelines really stratify patients depending on their risk profile, Um, so we recommend or the ESC recommends that in very high risk patients, both in primary and secondary preventions, we should achieve an LDL-C goal level of less than 55 milligrams per DL or less than 1.4 millimoles per litre and at least a 50% reduction from baseline LDL-C levels. In higher risk patients, um, we, we, we say that the LDL-C goal should be less than 70 milligrams per DL or less than 1.8 uh, millimoles per litre, at least 50% reduction from LDL-C levels. I think in terms of how well we achieve them, well, we know from a lot of data that we we don't achieve them very well. So there's data from the da Vinci study, for example, that shows um, that only a minority of patients um, achieve these sorts of levels. And interesting, there's a paradox. The paradox being that the higher risk you get, um, the lower the level of um, achievement of these um, cutoffs is. And I think part of the problem is that I'm an interventional cardiologist, and many of us, when we treat patients, they come in with an acute coronary syndrome or an acute cardiovascular event, we start them on um, a statin, a high dose statin, often a torvostatin, for example, and then we never check the lipid level again. We assume it's going to be somebody else's job. And so then the patients are left um, despite having had an, an acute cardiovascular event with this elevated. Um, failure to reach targets, and this continued and persistent elevated cardiovascular risk.
0: So what is your strategy uh, at these ACS uh, patients who are especially at high risk?
1: So I think it's really important that we um, reduce to target levels. Why? Well, we know that there is um, a relationship between um, LDL-C and future cardiovascular events, but there's been more recent data um, using intravascular imaging, um, particularly with Um, compounds such as evilocomab. And what this shows is regression of the plaque in these patients that have had um, these cardiovascular events, but also importantly, um, it changes the phenotype of the plaque. We know that um, in patients with uh, thin cap fibrotheromas, these patients um, are very high risk of having events. And we know that the, 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 the plaques become much more stabilized as we reduce um, LDLC um, down. So I think, you know, the, the, the key thing to my mind is remembering to reassess um, patients and looking at what the levels are and, you know, introducing second and third line agents. Um, so I think, I, you know, we, we should have a very low threshold for PCSK9 inhibitors. I think one of the problems is obviously funding. You know, in the ideal world, we would go very hard, very quickly. Um, so, and that was really one of the messages of the symposium that you know there is increasing data now to suggest that um, following an ACS, you know, starting on the, starting, starting on the PCSK9 inhibitor, you know, upfront, um, particularly makes um, the, the the rates of events very low. But we know from many healthcare systems, including the UK, from where I come. Um, that that's often not possible because of um, funding and so we have to take a much more restrictive approach in um, which sort of patients we use um, these agents which perhaps isn't the ideal scenario from the patient perspective.
0: So can we declare that uh, monotherapy is not an option anymore to achieve the ADSC target and the population level?
1: I'm not sure that I would say that it's not an option anymore. Um, I think that in some patients, you know, you you can achieve it. But I would say that in a significant um, proportion of patients, you can't. Um, And I think then the decision is, you know, how do you, what what do you do? I mean, do you you start with monotherapy, um, reassess the situation down the line? and then either up-titrate your monotherapy or introduce a second um, system, or do you um, go very hard and fast up front, Um, which would probably be my approach in the ideal world, but we know that we don't live in the ideal world. And I think the other thing is that we need to be smarter about how we implement the evidence as well. Um, we know that if you rely on just the doctors, you know, getting in touch with the patients, the patients engaging, that often doesn't lead to great results in the real world. And so, you know, nowadays, particularly following COVID, we have a lot of digital solutions. Um, so there's sort of web-based, app-based um, systems um, that you can use um, that help the patient and optimize implementation of this data. And I think educational resources, also um, through apps, are important for patients. They're much more likely um, to, you know, take medications if they understand, you know, the need, rather than taking a very paternalistic perspective where doctors just prescribe things and say to patients, "You have to take it," because we know that that often um, doesn't happen, and we've seen that, for example in the recent um, SECURE trial from the ESC, the polypill trial where patients were either randomised to receiving four different agents versus a single polypill agent. And we we saw, you know, very high rates of non-adherence even in a randomised population, let alone in the real world where, you know, patients have much more comorbid and less likely to be adherent to medications.
0: Um, as you said, uh, management might be um, difficult because um, because patients uh, do not feel directly the, the consequences. They, they don't know what they risk by uh, not taking their medication as far as they experience uh, an event. Um, how can we convince them? Uh, what can we say um, when... Um, So if you lower LDSC, when this will uh, turn into clinical benefit?
1: Well, I mean, so that's a really interesting point, a really important point, both for management of, say, lipids, but also things like hypertension. It's not like toothache, where you have a pain, you take a tablet, you feel better, or angina, you have chest pain when you walk, you take your... Um, anti medications, you feel better. Often, um, or in most of the times, um, with lipid therapy, hypertension therapy, other risk factor control, the patient doesn't notice any benefit. Um, but we do know that there is a linear relationship. The lower, the better. The lower you go, the lower your risk. Um, and I think it's really important then to show this in a way to patients that they understand. So I don't think it's useful to you know, talk to them about percentages, talk to them about p-values. I think it's really useful though, um, particularly when you're talking to many patients that may perhaps have a very different education level to you, to use very simple illustrations and maybe talk to them about the lifetime risk rather than a very abstract, you know, one-year risk, five-year risk, 10-year risk, which, is which you know, isn't particularly meaningful to patients. And so, you know, you could say to a patient, your your lifetime risk of having an event is maybe, you know, if there was three people like you, two people would get it. If you take these medications, only one person would get it and maybe show them pictures. I think this would be very useful. There's also um, apps that can be used where a patient can change their LDL cholesterol C levels, and then they can see, you know, in pic- in picture form how much their lifetime risk reduces. Um, and again, it's not just about cholesterol control. I mean, that's a very important factor, but it's also things like stopping smoking, um, reducing blood pressure control lifestyle changes such as losing weight so um, controlling lipids is only one part of you know a whole change in the way patients think about their health and i think just giving them leaflets will never work i think you know we have to start to use technology in an easily understandable form where patients can see in picture or illustration form what the benefits are by changing um their risk factor profile.
0: Professor Mamas, thank you very much for the interview.
1: It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you.